Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the resurrection of your son. We pray that you would fill us with a strange new joy and power as we reflect on uh, this mighty act and the implications of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Twice in a couple of years, a huge error was made on a massive stage with millions of people watching. December of 2015, Steve Harvey accidentally crowned Miss Columbia as the winter as the winner during the Miss Universe pageant. Miss Columbia got to celebrate for a brief moment until Steve Harvey realized his mistake and corrected it. Turns out she was actually the runner-up. It was Miss Philippines who was the true winner. Oops. And then there was this year, where something similar happened on an even bigger stage at the Academy Awards. It was the moment everyone had been waiting for, maybe some of you stayed up for it, when the best film would be announced. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway came on stage, and they declared, after a kind of an awkward pause with Warren Beatty reading the envelope, they declared La La Land to be the winner, and the celebration began. And the producers came on stage for La La Land and actually gave their acceptance speeches, but they weren't actually the winners. Beatty and Dunaway were given the wrong envelope. It was actually Moonlight who took home the Oscar that evening. As disruptive as these mistakes were for Hollywood, I find them wonderfully delightful. (laughs) They're a reminder that we're human beings and we mess up. And sometimes it happens on a really big stage. It's a great irony that it's Hollywood who's, you know, the best at putting on a production that just totally bombs and messes it up. But it's a great reminder for all human beings, don't, don't take yourself too seriously, especially with something as inconsequential as Hollywood entertainment. Well, last week we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ And as I mentioned, we don't just celebrate Easter as a day here, but a season. And so we continue that celebration of the resurrection. Really, every Sunday in our liturgical understanding is sort of a mini resurrection Sunday. And so we're always celebrating this great act. But last week in particular, we and Christians all over the world celebrated Jesus's victory over sin and death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What if we were mistakenly celebrating? What if we were enjoying a victory that didn't actually happen? There are many people who do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There are many people who went to church on Easter and who identify with the Christian faith that do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There may be some people here this morning who do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and we're glad you're here. Well, if Jesus was not raised from the dead as we celebrated, it's not a small mistake that we can laugh about, that we've been celebrating and worshiping for these 2,000 years. It's not inconsequential like Hollywood entertainment. It would totally undermine the Christian faith. Film came out recently called The Case for Christ. 
It was based on the book by Lee Strobel, Exploring Evidence for the Resurrection. If you'd like to explore evidence for the resurrection, get the book, don't go see the movie. It tells a sweet story, but doesn't have all that much content. However, there was one line in the film that stood out to me. Um, Strobel's character is interacting with a, a co-worker of his and asking about where would he try to disprove Christianity, because that's his goal. If you know the story, he was an atheist and he wanted to disprove Christianity. He said, where would you start? And this co-worker said, well, you'd start with the resurrection, because if you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity is a house of cards. It will fall. It will not stand. Well, we think we still have our faith right? We still have all of the miracles and the teaching, the great moral teaching of Jesus. We even have the cross. Maybe the resurrection is just sort of a beautiful cherry on top, but if that didn't happen, okay, we still have this sacrificial moment on the cross in the rest of Jesus's life. Well, that's not the case. And Apostle Paul has even stronger language for it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Resurrection is not just a nice add-on to Christianity. It's the ball game. And if there is no resurrection, we are all lost. Jesus' cross is ineffective. His claim to be the Messiah is not validated. If you remember from last week and from Holy Week, we were talking about how God broke the silence in the resurrection. Well, if there is no resurrection, God never broke the silence. He didn't answer the suffering of the world and of his son. And Jesus, whoever he was, is not nearly as important as we thought that he was. And so the stakes couldn't be any higher, friends, whether or not the resurrection happened. So did it happen? Well, yes, we believe it did. And this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and look at some of the evidence for the resurrection. It is actually reasonable to believe in it. If we put on our historian hats and we do history the right way, it is actually a reasonable conclusion. Yes, we have to use our faith, but there's good, solid historical evidence to support what we believe, as much as we believe anything about ancient history. In fact, you could argue there's more reason to believe what we have in the Gospels than there would some other types of ancient history. The way I want to go about this this morning is to actually look at five theories of what happened that first Easter morning. Because a lot of times people who don't believe the resurrection or say, ah, that's foolishness, that, of course that didn't happen. They don't actually spend the time considering, okay, well, what did happen? How do, you, how do you explain it? How do you make sense of the data that we have? And so we're going to look at four theories that deny the bodily resurrection, and then one theory, the Christian faith, that affirms it. I am relying heavily uh, on the work of three different scholars, Peter Kreeft and Ronald Ticelli of Boston University and Bishop Tom Wright of St. Andrews University. So five theories. Some of you have heard these before. I was going through them with the youth, and there was clearly one youth that had studied this, and he just kept naming them over and over. I was like, okay, you, you teach the lesson. I don't, I don't need to do this. The first one is called the swoon theory. It maintains that Jesus did not actually die on the cross. He swooned. He, he kind of passed out. And then later, in the cool of the tomb, he awoke and he departed. A number of scholars since the 18th century have held to some version of this theory. It's also a popular explanation among some Muslims. 
who do honor Jesus. They believe Jesus was a prophet, but they cannot obviously accept his resurrection. Upon closer analysis, this theory really does not hold up. It doesn't fit the data too much that it doesn't explain. First of all, the Romans were very, very good at executing people. To let someone who was sentenced to capital punishment escape would have meant the penalty of death for the Roman soldier who messed it up. So it was in their best interest to make sure Jesus was in fact dead. And then we have this eyewitness account from John that says that the Roman soldier did not break Jesus's legs because he saw that he was already dead. And then just to make sure he pierced his side. And when he did, blood and water came out, which we're told later from medical information indicates that Jesus's lungs had collapsed and he had died of asphyxiation. But let's just say, Let's just say, despite all of that evidence that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, how could a man who had been flogged almost to death and then crucified on a cross by the experts wake up in a tomb in that state, roll away a large stone, and then overpower two soldiers? But let's just say, let's just say that he did do the first two things. Where did he go? Where did Jesus live the rest of his life? If we deny that he truly died and rose again, that means that Jesus kept living a life. He went on to, to do something. And we have, a, I mean, we have a couple of post-resurrection appearances. We have a few of those. But after that, those were just a short time. After that, there's no record of Jesus living. I mean, he was a very popular man. People knew him. He'd done all these miracles. Did he just go hide out in secret? Surely there would have been something written about him. So the swoon theory, it's a popular one, but it doesn't hold up very well on multiple levels. Second theory is called the conspiracy theory. This theory maintains that Jesus' disciples made up the resurrection. They intentionally tried to fool everyone. A lot of people believe something like this today. Resurrection didn't really happen Disciples concocted this to make themselves feel better and and then to carry on the legend of their teacher whom they'd given their life to. Again, a lot of problems with this theory. Consider the persecution that the disciples faced, which is well documented. They were beaten, they were imprisoned, and many were killed for their beliefs. Why in the world would someone die for a belief that they knew that they made up? It doesn't really explain the character of these early Christians. On the contrary, it can be explained in a different way. And here I quote from Kreeft and Ticelli. The disciples' character argues strongly against such a conspiracy. They were simple, honest, common peasants, not cunning, conniving liars. Their sincerity is proved by their words and actions. They preached a resurrected Christ and they lived a resurrected Christ. They willingly died for their conspiracy. Nothing proves sincerity like martyrdom. The change in their lives from fear to faith, despair to confidence, confusion to certitude, runaway cowardice to steadfast boldness under the threat of persecution not only proves their sincerity, but testifies to some powerful cause of it. Can a lie cause such a transformation? So if they were knowingly perpetuating this lie, they had nothing to gain. All they had was persecution 
and death. And then furthermore, if it was a conspiracy, both the Romans and the Jews had plenty of reasons and plenty of power to prove it wrong, to show the world that these fishermen and peasants were lying to everyone. One of the things they could have done is produce Jesus's body and instantly prove that the disciples were wrong, but they couldn't do that because they couldn't find a body. So the conspiracy theory, also a popular one, doesn't make sense of the evidence. Can't explain that strange and powerful transformation in the disciples and their behavior of willingly being persecuted and going to their deaths. A third theory, the hallucination theory. All of the people who saw Jesus after his resurrection were simply hallucinating or dream the same dream at exactly the same time. Well, that probably didn't happen. First of all, there's way too many witnesses and hallucinations are individual and personal and dreams don't really happen at the same time with all the same details. Jesus appeared to multiple people in different ways at different times. One time he appeared to 500 people at once. Paul wrote many years later that many of those eyewitnesses were still alive. They could have been questioned and cross-examined by enemies and opponents of Christianity and proved wrong, but they were not. Also, with the hallucination, you have these, it's almost like the gospel writers are going out of their way to say, yeah, I touched his feet. I touched his hands. We have that in John's reading today. I ate breakfast with him. Uh, that doesn't happen with a ghost. It doesn't happen with a hallucination. There was a physical part to it, and they were amazed by it, and they wrote it down. And finally, if it was a hallucination, you still have the problem of his body. They easily could have gone and rolled the tomb away themselves and say, oh, must have been a hallucinating. There is Jesus' body, or their opponents could have done that. So that theory doesn't really hold up very well. Fourth, the myth theory. Uh, this theory maintains that the stories of Jesus' resurrection did not happen. They're not literal. They're not historical. Rather, they're fictionalized stories that were invented by communities of faith several generations after the events took place. And as such, we cannot believe them literally or historically, but they can still be true for us symbolically or spiritually. They can have rich meaning to us personally, even if they didn't actually happen. And this is a very popular explanation in certain parts of the church in liberal theology. Once again, there's lots of problems with it. Uh, first, the four gospels don't read like a myth. They're a very different style. They include eyewitness type of details that wouldn't show up in a myth. We actually have a mythic account of the resurrection in the gospel of Peter. And it's very different from that of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a cross that comes out of the tomb and starts talking. It's just a different feel for that type of of literature. Second, there wasn't enough time for a myth to develop. You see, a myth develops over several generations after those generations pass, and there's no one left as an eyewitness who could discredit the myth, who could say, no, I was there. That's not actually what happened. But the gospel stories got written down why there were still eyewitnesses alive to discredit them. Myths need a long time, and there wasn't enough time for the gospel to be myth. Furthermore, if there were myths, they would have never included a group of women being the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection, no offense, women. Let me explain. Kreeft and Ticelli write this, in first century Judaism, women had low social status and no legal right to serve as witnesses. 
If the empty tomb were an invented legends, its inventors surely would not have had it discovered by women whose testimony was considered worthless. If, on the other hand, the writers were simply reporting what they saw, they would have to tell the truth, however socially and legally inconvenient. There are other theories, but these are some of the leading ones. The swoon theory, conspiracy theory, hallucination theory, and the myth theory. They really just don't make that good a sense of the evidence. There's too many problems with each of them. Well, when we have the fifth theory, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, and that, even if you suspend faith somewhat, really does make the best sense. The evidence points towards some unlikely but amazing event that had all of the effects that it did. It explains especially the early disciples and the change in their behavior, and it explains the rise of Christianity. I mean, that is one of the best proofs itself is the fact that Christianity did what it did. If that was based on a dead Messiah, on a lie, on a myth, I I don't think it would have happened the way that it happened. Bishop Tom Wright summarizes, in any other historical inquiry, the answer would be so obvious that it would hardly need saying. Here, of course, the obvious answer, well, it actually happened, is so shocking, so earth-shattering that we rightly pause before leaping into the unknown. If someone gives an honest look at the resurrection using modern methods of historical inquiry, a lot like Lee Strobel did some years ago, it's not the evidence that causes them to disbelieve it. Rather, I would suggest it's two things. First, they have dismissed the possibility of miracles before considering the facts. Imagine if we had a jury trial uh, for someone who was killed by a gun, and the jury said, well, we don't believe that guns can kill people. Okay, go ahead and present your evidence. Well, you've already ruled out a huge piece of evidence. They've already made up their mind. Because people don't normally rise from the dead, because it's not a scientifically observable phenomenon, many people dismiss the possibility out of hand. There's a lot that we could critique about that perspective. For one, it's not a good way to pursue knowledge and truth. There are plenty of things that cannot be proved by scientific method that we still hold to be true. If you have children, if you have other loved ones, you know that you love them. Prove it. You can't prove it, but you know that you do. It also fails to account for the study of history and the study of science. They are different disciplines. History, by its very nature, studies unrepeatable events. The D-Day invasion of Normandy only happened once. It will never be repeated. Science, on the other hand, studies repeatable events. You do the same experiment over and over and over and expect the same results. Jesus' resurrection is history, friends. It is not science. We study it with history. It's totally unique. It's an unrepeatable event, and that's why we study it the way we do. But a lot of people will dismiss the truth of the resurrection because they've already decided that miracles do not happen. And then another reason why people don't believe the resurrection is because what it means if it's true. I think this is where Bishop Tom Wright gets it right. It's so shocking. It's so earth-shattering. It's not a truth that we can just say, oh yeah, sure, Jesus rose from the dead. We can take it or leave it at our convenience. It's a truth which demands a response. 
It's a truth which has the power to upturn our whole world, our values, our lives, the way we're living our life. It's not a neutral truth. And so I think at some level, even if people don't realize it, they're denying the resurrection because they don't want it to be true because it would totally upturn their life. Friends, if Jesus did rise from the dead, it means everything. Christianity is true or false based on the resurrection. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus rose from the dead, which the evidence suggests that it does, then Christianity is true and it is infinitely important, not just for those who believe it, but for the entire created order. And it has implications, many implications. We can't go through all of them today, but let me mention four very briefly the infinitely important implications a la C.S. Lewis. First, it means we have a king. It means that we have a king. By his resurrection, Jesus was vindicated as the Messiah by God the Father. If you read the scriptures in the Old Testament about the Messiah, the understanding was, yes, he was the king of the Jews, but he was the king of the whole creation, the whole world. And we've seen how the resurrection validated Jesus' claim, said, yes, he is the Messiah. Second implication, we have the forgiveness of sins. Again, going back to Paul, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. You see, sometimes we mix things up, and we think that the the resurrection somehow reversed what happened on the cross. Parts of that are true, but really the resurrection was validating and vindicating what happened on the cross, including the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. The Father was accepting it. He was saying, yes, this is the sacrifice that I desire and it is worthy and our sins are forgiven. Third, the resurrection gives us a new mission, a hugely new mission, a world-encompassing mission, a mission filled with a living hope as comes from Peter. The resurrected king, as we see in in the stories, We've read one today. We'll, we'll look at another one from Luke 24. He begins to, to gather the, the people around him again and, and reconstitute the church, and he restores uh, Peter to leadership. He, he builds the church. He's d- been doing it, but now he's building it, and he's going to send them out as the church, as the people of God around the king. We go out into the world. We pronounce that Jesus has risen from the dead. We pronounce that there is hope and salvation in his name, and we embody what it looks like to be his kingdom people. What is God like? What are his people like? And people come into our midst and they see and they know that Jesus is Lord. And then fourth and finally, his resurrection gives us a new hope. We can describe the new hope in a lot of ways, but I think captured just by the words, new creation, new creation. The Bible calls the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits. That means it's the first example of a greater harvest to be brought in. Tom Wright notes that the early Christians believed that God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus at Easter. 
He's going to do for all the creation. We have that in Romans 8, that creation itself is groaning to be liberated from its bondage to decay. So something is going to happen to the created order, but at the center of that is us, that we are going to be resurrected. And there is nothing that can take that hope away. When the fear of death has been eliminated, then all of the other fears begin to unravel. Death has lost its sting. So we're just touching on them, but those are some of these implications of this historical event that happened. That we have this king, we have forgiveness of sins, we have a new mission as the church, and we have a new hope. And so unlike Miss Columbia, unlike La La Land, we are not celebrating mistakenly. We are right to rejoice in the victory of Christ over the dead. Can we prove it? No. Can we consider the evidence? Yes. And the evidence points towards this conclusion, however surprising, however earth-shattering it might be, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday and Easter season and all throughout the year. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us without good, reasonable evidence to support our claim, our worship, our praise, our hope that Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. Lord, would you fill us this morning with such a confidence and a peace and a hope in this message that we would live it in our lives and that we would show it through our lives to a world who desperately needs some good news. We pray these things in the name of the resurrected one, Jesus Christ. Amen.